before when I was going through burnout, fulfillment meant having a you know beautiful lifestyle, the house, the car, the husband, the money in the bank, the great kids, you know, all of the things that that I had on my to-do list that I wanted to check off my to-do list and that I said I wanted. And at this point in my life, fulfillment means not ha just having those things, but actually enjoying what I do have. So enjoying my kids, enjoying my husband, enjoying whatever car I'm driving or money we have or, or however that looks, however little or much it is, fulfillment is really the, the tasting of it, not just the production, which is where I got stuck and why I got burned out. I was so busy producing to get those things that I wasn't enjoying any of them. I don't want to live like that anymore. I, I want to live a life where I am consistently consuming the goodness that's being produced. It's episode 151, and that was Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. I reached out to Dr. Dalton-Smith after stumbling across her model on TED.com of the seven types of rest. I was immediately like, oh yeah, we all need this. This is an understanding that everyone can benefit from, and I think it really adds to the concept of self-care and restoration. I feel so passionately about this one. I really do. So please take the time to do yourself a favor and listen to what she is outlining here with us today. We talk about a boatload of stuff, including the importance of understanding what kind of tired you really are, how many people show up functionally while still burned out. They're still producing but feel that sense of miserable languishing inside. The vital differences between self-care and rest and where they overlap and how we can all develop our own rest strategy. Now, as I mentioned, you can get a summary of the seven types of rest, which we are outlining here over at TED.com. Just Google search TED.com seven types of rest, but that will also be included in the show notes over at heretothrive.com forward slash podcast 151. We refer to the book that Dr. Dalton Smith has written that covers these types of rest too, and that is called Sacred Rest. Finally, you can find her over at ichoosemybestlife.com or drdaltonsmith.com. Without further ado, though, let's just jump in and have Dr. Dalton Smith share her wisdom with us. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Dr. Dalton Smith, thank you for coming on the Here to Thrive podcast today. Thanks for having me, Kate. I 
am really excited to be speaking with you. I think I sent you a message on Instagram and I said, I've just come across your work and the way you have conceptualized rest, I think everybody needs to hear this because to me, it was one of those concepts that was really uh, just paradigm shifting. So I'm ex exceptionally excited that you uh, took up my invite to be on the show. Yes, I'm always surprised when I hear people say that because, I mean, when we look at it, it's, it's really a very simple way of looking at rest. But I think most of us just have not thought about all the different facets of the ways that we need to rest. So a little bit more about your background, Dr. Dalton-Smith. You are a medical doctor. So how did you end up in this space of being an expert around rest? Well, I think for myself, it really boiled down to I burned out about 10 years into my 20 years of medical practice. And so I had to find a way to get back on track to what I knew was a healthier lifestyle. And really, medicine is lending itself towards more of a burnout profession. We actually train it within medical school and residency to burn the candle at both ends and to not honor or to take time for rest and recovery. And so that led me down a path where I burned out and conventional wisdom and medicine did not help me. The thought process of, oh, I just need a vacation or I need to sleep for eight hours and that's going to solve my fatigue and exhaustion wasn't true. And I found that it wasn't true for most of the people that I was treating as well. And we really needed something that was sustainable because vacations aren't sustainable. They're momentary. We needed something we could do in the middle of our careers, not having to quit our careers. And we needed it to be something that was simple enough that we could do it every single day. And that's what I tried to develop with this plan as what you call sacred rest at this point. I have read the book Sacred Rest and I loved the illustration of your story through the book, but also the patients that you were seeing. And is it fair to say many of them were mirroring similar symptoms to what you were experiencing with your own burnout? Absolutely. I honestly, I initially had no plan on sharing what I was doing with anyone else. It was just my own research and diving deep just to save myself. And so I, I hadn't thought about how I was going to apply this with my patients until I started hearing so many of their stories and they did, they mirrored my own stories. And so it came down to a point of, am I just going to give them a pill that's a quick fix and get them out of my office quickly? Or am I going to help teach them this process? And so started off with just handouts in the office and evolved into something much more. In the book, you do mention, though, that some of your patients almost, and this isn't quite the right word, but there was almost some pushback and that it wasn't just a simple pill that you could give them and that you were seeing these rest deficits. Many of them kind of just wanted to be told they have a chronic illness and here's a pill to fix it, right? Well, I think anytime we tell people that the issue they're experiencing is going to require a lifestyle change, there is some pushback. 
whether that's telling them that because they have diabetes or high blood pressure and they're going to need to change their diet and maybe their exercise patterns, or if they're exhausted and you're telling them they're going to have to start incorporating some restorative restful activities within their life. Yes, they're like, where am I gonna do this? I don't wanna make any changes. I think even if the changes are for the better, there is some pushback. And unfortunately, a pill is quick. A pill is a quick fix for a lot of things. We have lots of sleeping pills that can get you those eight hours. You may still be groggy the next morning. You may still feel tired in all other areas of your life. But I think people really want something that that is more natural. It's just that little bit of tension between am I willing to do the steps necessary for that improvement? Mm, the lifestyle change is a hard one. And I recall you sort of saying in your book, and of course, it goes along with you being a doctor, that you are one of those people who is a type A incredibly driven, take on all the things type of people. Uh, What would you say to listeners right now who instantly feel like they're perhaps too busy to make the space for these vital lifestyle changes? Well, usually what I ask people when they tell me they're too busy to rest or they don't have time for this, I ask them how that's going for them. (laughs) (laughs) How's that working for you? Yeah, because nine times out of 10, these are the same people that are telling everybody who will listen how tired they are, how exhausted they are, how busy their lives are, how little margin they have, you know, how their relationships are strained. These are people who are struggling. And I think it's important to realize that people who do consider themselves high achievers or producers, they they are the doers of the world, they like to get stuff done, they can burn out and be functional burnouts. So we have a lot of people who are living a burned out lifestyle. They are exhausted all the time. They find little joy in the work that they do, but they're still producing. And the world looks at them and says, wow, aren't they so successful? but then they go home and they're miserable. And that is not the life I think anybody really wants to live. Mm, that hits, that strikes a nerve when you say functionally burnt out, as in still showing up as a productive member of society, getting the pats on the back, but yet feeling hollow inside. Oh, no, none of us want to be like that. It's a pretty picture but it's a pretty picture that has no satisfaction. Mm. How do you see the concept of rest differing from the concept of self-care, which is, you know, I feel like oh so popular in our vernacular these days. Is rest different? Rest is a part of self-care. For me, when I think of the word self-care, self-care has kind of a a foo-foo wrap. <laughs> so we hear the word and we're like, oh, that sounds nice. Do I really need that? And we, because of how we've used the word, we've taken away some of the importance of it. And I think for most of us, we really have to be able to see how self-care helps us to be able to do what we want to do, to achieve what we want to achieve and to experience the life that we desire to have. And so when I talk about self-care, 
I'm, I'm basically sharing about these types of rest. I'm sharing about the seven types of rest. I'm sharing about the restorative activities that help to restore rest deficits in these areas. All of these are types of self-care because at, at the root of self-care is caring for yourself, doing things that help improve you. So yes, rest is a part of that. You also touched on the eight hours sleep and the once a year vacation. That's not the rest that is going to restore us. What do you think is going on with the people who still feel like that is what they need? Well, I think vacations are fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think a great vacation is good for everyone, but you that can't be your rest strategy. That can't be how you're going to stay restored day in and day out. Because unless you're going to take a vacation every month, you're going to get to a point of depletion. Each day we use, we use energy in the seven areas. And of those seven areas, depending on your job, your your lifestyle, the things that you do, your family dynamics, you may be using more energy in one area than another. What happens is you'll end up with a rest deficit in the area where you use the most energy. So of those seven areas, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative, there's usually one or two of them at any given time that you're depleting because of the activities you did that day. Now, if you're not mindful of that, if you're not self-aware of how you're using energy, you'll go to bed that night tired and you'll wake up the next day still tired because you failed to get rest in the area of the actual deficit. And sleep does not cure all rest deficits. The same as a momentary vacation where you go away for a week can't keep you filled up every day. It's an ongoing process. I call it a lifestyle of rest where you are aware of the work that you do and then what restorative activities are needed to be incorporated within your day so that you can stay in a place of fullness. I'm, I'm 100% on board. And it was the seven types of rest that I came across. And that is the part of your work that just, it struck me because it was like it made it usable. And you, you ran through them there quickly. I would love to touch on each of them just for a couple of moments so we can get a little bit of an understanding of these seven different types of rest. Uh, is there anywhere that you like to start? Well, I would probably begin with physical. That's the one I think that most of us are familiar with, specifically because we're always thinking about sleep as and rest being the same thing. Sleep is a type of rest. It's a type of passive physical rest. But then there's also what we call active physical rest, which include things that help improve your muscle flexibility and it helps include improve your circulation and your lymphatics. So things like yoga or leisure walks or stretching. And so we have to be aware with physical rest that sleep is important. That is a type of rest that we all need. But there's also types of physical rest that we need that don't that don't mean we're staying, you know, laying down or staying still. And I think that's the beginning of the mindset shift that people have to have with rest is that rest isn't about stopping or the cessation of activity. 
it includes those restorative things that you do, those restorative activities that help to fill you back up. I think one of the things that you said in your book really struck me because you know, I come from a background in psychology and I'm all about self-care and and all of these other types of rest. And the one that I've always personally struggled with has been physical self-care. So I'm talking more of the working out, the moving my body. I feel like I live in my head and the body stuff just doesn't come easily to me. But you come from a medical background and you talked about the importance of exercise and you will say this better than I will. The importance of exercise and moving the bloodstream and moving our lymphatic system, as you're saying, to clear out the inflammation in our bodies. And I was like, okay, I get it now. This is what it's doing. Yes. And, you know, really in medicine, we say that a sedentary lifestyle now is as dangerous, honestly, maybe even more dangerous than smoking because we're seeing so many people with increased um, levels of diabetes, high blood pressure, all of these issues that come oftentimes from sedentary lifestyles. And so for us, getting people to understand the importance of movement and I don't mean you have to go run a marathon or, you know, take up a triathlon or anything like that, but just to keep your body moving so that your circulation continues to move out the good and cleanse the blood and keep everything where it's functioning well. And you're not having these times of stagnation, which will lead to clots and inflammation and all the things we don't want. Yeah, that just the explanation. I'm a why person. And I was like, I've been told that I need to exercise to, you know, reduce my stress levels and keep myself healthy forever. But just the explanation of what it was doing and the importance of movement in my body to clear out all of that stuff, I was like, oh, that's the missing link. So, so thank you for that. Yes. And it goes right along with drinking water. You know, I always say we have a lot of people who are chronically dehydrated because people don't like water. We love our coffee and our Cokes and our teas and everything else, but we don't drink enough fluids, hydrating fluids to actually kind of flush out our system. And it's the very same process. Mind blowing. Uh, There is also mental rest. What are you referring to with this type of rest? Mental rest, some people refer to it as mindfulness, but really it's the ability to get your cerebral space to quiet down. Most of our head spaces stay very noisy, very busy and active. And I oftentimes compare it to our computer screens. When I ask people how many tabs they have open on their computer screens, you know, I get numbers from the least usually is five up to 30 plus. Well, our multitasking brain that's able to jump around those different tabs functions the same way in our head. It's as if we have multiple tabs open at any given time. And so we're often jumping from one thought to another. We used to call this monkey brain in medical school (laughs) when your head is just jumping from all of these swinging from thought to thought to thought. Well, the problem is when you try to lay down at night to go to sleep, or you're trying to concentrate on something, remember something, or do deep work where you're having to really have your attention focused, that's hard to do. Many of us have not learned how to do that, or really have unlearned, because we knew how to do it when we were in elementary school. We've unlearned how to do it, 
And so now when we try to lay down, our head says, no, I want to talk about all things while you're trying to go to sleep. And so then you can't clear your head space. So mental rest is clearing that head space, learning how to focus your thoughts, to get your thoughts down to one single thing that you're concentrating on. Clear out all of the mental clutter that's up there so that you can get to that quiet space. I just am thinking about our modern lifestyles, Dr. Dalton Smith, and and just thinking about how quickly the 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 stimulation and the noise is coming at us these days. I'm sure that as a generation, we we do have more pressure on our mental headspace than perhaps the generations before us. Absolutely, and I got I'm happy you mentioned that because really that kind of folds over into sensory rest. Because um, what you're describing for a lot of people, all of that extra input that we're getting, whether it's from our electronics or TV or uh, honestly, or just from lights, bright lights and sounds that we're hearing, all of that leads to this, our sensory input and can cause sensory overload. And what we find, you know, we're, we have a lot of people who talk about being anxious all the time, or they talk about being irritable, or they have road rage and, you know, all of these different things that in a lot of cases can be boiled down to ongoing sensory overload that is keeping our our bodies and our minds and our spirits overly agitated. And so we're having these responses. Sometimes the things we're not even aware are irritating us. And so it's really important to be aware of how much sensory input is in your day. Are there people talking in your office and you're hearing background noise? Are your notifications going off on your phone and your in your computer all day? All of these excessive sensory inputs need to be downgraded because sensory rest is when we allow our senses some time to just not have all that exposure. This one really hit home to me because I feel like I've learned a lot about my sensory tolerance over the last several years and it started with my son being diagnosed with sensory processing disorder which is just basically says he's more sensitive than some others and I realized oh my gosh I have the same thing but obviously it was never diagnosed in me as a child but it has led me to be much more aware of how overstimulated I can become and very quickly and how I do need more sensory rest than some other people, you know, like loud noises or uh, too much going on around me for too long is, is very hard for me to deal with. Yes, that's an excellent point because for each of these types of rest, our capacity and our, uh, our need is different for each person. If someone has underlying health conditions, let's say lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or something where their body is easy to get tense and tight, that person's gonna need to be a little bit more mindful of the amount of physical rest that they're getting. If someone has a child who's autistic, that they're gonna need to be very sensitive to the amount of sensory rest and sensory exposure that's going on in their home and in their, their, their lifestyle. And same, as you mentioned with you and your son, if you have a tendency to be more sensitive to sensory input, then that's going to be really important to be on top of because that's an area that you'd be able to experience a deficit faster than, say, some other areas. 
and coming back to your point, until I kind of had this level of awareness about myself, I was constantly allowing myself to be overstimulated or, as you said, going into a deficit in this area, but I was unaware of what was happening. So just the labeling and the ability to be aware of it has been life-changing to me. I think that is the key. I get a lot of emails, a lot of messages from people regarding their experience with my book, Sacred Rest. And that I think is the number one comment that I get. Thank you for giving me the vocabulary to express what I've been living. Because mm. I think we, we've all had those days where we're like, I'm exhausted and I don't know why. And people, you know, no one understands. But when you have a vocabulary and some words in which you can explain it to someone else, and you can actually process it yourself to understand what your next steps are, it really just helps you really kind of take back control. It empowers you. For sure. So the next type of rest I had on my list was creative rest. Yes, creative rest. Well, let me first start by saying this. It is not just for people who consider themselves creatives. So creative rest at its core is the rest we experience when we allow ourselves to experience beauty in whatever form, whether that's natural beauty, like the ocean or the mountains or flowers or trees, or if it's man-made beauty, like artwork or dance or music. And the thing is, many of us are using creative energy on a ongoing basis. If you're someone who has to solve problems within your work or your career, or if you are having to be innovative and stay on top of your your field, you're having to constantly think outside of the box and come up with new ways of doing things. You're using creative energy because that is the process to get that end result. And the problem is we have a lot of people who are using excessive amounts of creative energy in their day, but because they don't label themselves as a creative, they don't feel they need creative rest. And so then those people lose motivation, lose inspiration, stop liking and enjoying their jobs. And all of that boils down to really a need for having creativity be something that is filling them back up, that is helping them to pour back into that place that they are consistently pouring out of. Mm, so powerful. Uh, then I had emotional rest. What is emotional rest? Emotional rest is the rest you experience when you allow yourself to practice authenticity, when you are able to share your feelings and your emotions without trying to contain them and keep them in a way where other people are, can easily digest them. I, I call it sometimes putting makeup on your emotions. There's a lot of energy that, that many of us expend in trying to keep our emotions in check. So that it's easier for other people to deal with. And so sometimes that comes down to professional stress. And so if you're someone, let's say if you're a nurse or someone who's dealing with hard situations with patients, yes, you're going to have to keep your emotions in check. You can't burst out in tears in the ICU. But that stress from the professional stress of keeping your emotional in check has to have a release because you can't hold on to that forever. And so that's why I think it's so important to have people in your life that you can experience emotional rest with, whether that's a counselor, therapist, trusted friend, you know, whoever, but every one of us needs someone in our life 
where we can say it as it is, where we can be very truthful and honest about what's going on with us emotionally. It just makes so much sense, you know, and would you say that's similar to what is often called in the medical profession, especially as compassion fatigue? Absolutely. And and I think that's the perfect term for it because that's exactly what it is. It's tiring. What happens is we have people who are in these type of professions and you ask, how are you doing? And they say, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. And they're getting eight hours of sleep. They're getting plenty of physical rest, but they are not getting emotional rest because their as their career has them pouring out of that particular bucket every single day. And they have to understand that if that's the bucket you're consistently draining, you need a way of filling it back up on a regular basis. Mm. And like I said, that sometimes it needs to be someone that you're paying. Sometimes it can just be a trusted friend, someone that you can get home with, and you don't have to give the details. I'll give an example from my own life. You know, with my husband, I can't come home and tell my husband all my patient's issues because of HIPAA violations, but I can come home and say, I'm struggling tonight. I am really upset because I don't understand why cancer is so vicious and why, you know, kids get it and everybody can get it and half of them can't be, you know, resolved. And it's really just making me sad. And I can just say that and just have him hold me, not try to fix it, not try to solve it. Just let me get out what I'm feeling so I don't have to carry it around myself all the time alone. Yeah, so powerful. I feel like that leads nicely into the next type of rest, which is social rest. Yes, and social rest and emotional rest do kind of go hand in hand because they both deal with people. You you need people to experience both of those. Um, well, I will say this, with emotional rest, you can get that with journaling. I've seen a lot of people get um, a lot of emotional rest from journaling, but typically it does involve people. So with social rest is the rest we experience when we are around life-giving people. I call it the rest of being in the presence of someone who gets you. And so someone who you feel accepted and loved with and who you feel like you have that interconnectivity with. And this is the thing about um, social rest. You really have to look at how people pull on your social energy because people are in one of two camps. They're either negatively pulling from our social energy. They need things from us. They require something from us or they're positively pouring back into our social energy. I call those life-giving people. They don't need anything from you. They, you just enjoy being around each other and you fill each other back up. And so I think it's important to make sure that you spend some time with people who don't need anything from you. You just enjoy their company because the reality is those people who need things from you, your clients, your, your partners, your coworkers, your family, they're going to be way more demanding than the people who don't need anything from you. So you have to make time and space for the people who you just enjoy being in their presence. This is really, this was striking to me as well, because I think about the time that I was a stay-at-home mother, and I was actually having this discussion with a client the other day as well, and she was sort of saying, but I love my family, I, I love my children, and we were talking about the need though to, and this is the perfect language for it, to have 
also your babies need a lot from you. And of course you love them, but there is also this need to replenish that social bucket as well. Yes, and I think that's important to, to really identify. When I say you have people that are negatively pulling from your social energy, I'm not calling these people negative. These are usually the people who you love most. That is just the nature of the relationship is that you are on the giving end of the relationship. And so, yes, you love your kids, but you are on the giving end of that relationship. And you have to be aware of that. And so if you're, if you're constantly giving and you're never receiving, you're going to get to a place of depletion. Ooh. Finally, there is spiritual rest. What does that mean to you? Well, spiritual rest really is different for each person depending on your own spiritual beliefs. But at the core of it, taking all religious beliefs out, at the core of spiritual rest is that feeling of connectivity with something really bigger than yourself, that you feel this interconnectedness with other people and kind of with humanity as a whole, that you feel like you are a part of something bigger. And a large part of that for those who are any body of faith or any faith-based belief is this feeling of, of really being loved and accepted and having purpose and understanding that your life really is interconnected with other people and you have an ability to really help pour into their lives as they're pouring into yours. So powerful. When I was reading the book Sacred Rest, and I'm sure you designed it like this, I noticed sort of the first section was more about the concepts we've covered now. And I would encourage everyone to go and get the book because it dives into these types of rest and obviously so much more detail than this high level overview has given us. But then the second half of the book is more about the sacred element and your personal way to find that sacred element and in your rest. Is that how you designed it? It is because I knew going into this, um, having shared this with my patients, of which my patients ranged in faith from Christian to Buddhist to atheist to Muslim to everything you can imagine in between. I realized that all of my patients did not experience the sacred part the same way I did. But I also realized that all of them were able to connect with the seven types of rest and their need for the seven types of rest. And so I divided the book up into the first part really talks about those seven types of rest. It dives more into the research, the practical application of how to get those types of rest. And then the second half of the book, I actually talk about the gifts of rest, which for me are the sacred components of it that I received, and it's based on my own faith walk. And so I actually talk about in the first part of the book that for me not to share that would be inauthentic because it was such a huge part of my rest journey. And so I don't, I don't force it on anyone. I separate it out in the book. And I say from the very first introduction, you get to choose where you go in this journey if you choose to go down and understand my spiritual take on it, then that's in the second half. I was really interested in your own, you just called it your faith walk. Uh, you talk about in the book how your mother passed away right after giving birth to you. 
and you grew up as a child somewhat angry at God. Is that how you would describe it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, I was mad. <laughs> absolutely, I was. I was mad. And that, honestly, I believe is the reason I struggled so much with rest. Because rest does have a, have a, a really a spiritual component for, for those of faith. And so for myself, this thought process of trusting and resting and, you know, trusting God, I had a hard time with that because I felt like it's hard, it's hard to trust someone you feel who's wounded you, mm. who has hurt you, who has done something that didn't really align with what you consider to be good. And so that was a, a very difficult situation for me to walk through. And I really feel like that's a huge part of why I fought against rest. I felt like I needed to keep kind of the reins on my life as tight as possible to prevent those kind of things from happening. Mm, that makes so much sense that you needed the control. You couldn't surrender into the faith. Uh, so you, you're now, you identify as Christian and you talk about you studied lots of religions though. At what point did you make your way really back to your Christian faith and feel comfortable and at home there? Or did you never stray too far? Well, I, I wouldn't say I didn't stray too far. <laughs> <laughs> I got to a place where I really, and honestly, through medical school, I got to a place where I really wasn't sure I wanted any part of faith. Um, the science I understood, you know, that was clear to me. I'm a biochemistry major, so I like hardcore science with a lot of details and facts. And spirituality is not like that. There's a lot of unknowns and there's this huge part of belief that requires you to not have proof that, that the way that I like proof as a scientist and researcher. And so that was hard for me. And that took many years. And I think the thing that really helped me the most in that was just as I, as I call it, seeing God in the everyday, starting to to really have an appreciation for seeing God in the things that, that were happening just throughout my day and opening myself up to that type of experience. You started looking for it. Yes, I think that's a big part of it. I got to a place where I felt like I, I know there's something more. I know there's something more and I don't exactly know what it is, but I'm open to experiencing it, whatever it is. So, so powerful. Uh, Dr. Dalton Smith, I ask a few intermission questions of my guests and you haven't seen these. So this is going to be super fun, quick fire for you. Okay. <laughs> You're like, okay. I'm up for it. <laughs> uh, would you consider yourself a morning person or a night person? Wow. It depends on the season. That's an interesting question. So I'm, I, I'm typically a night person. But in the summertime, I, I'm a morning person and I can't explain that. But every summer, I love getting up earlier. There's, uh, I mean, I feel like the sunshine. <laughs> I'm up here in Minnesota, but the sunshine and the, we're just, we're in that change of seasons right now in spring and the mornings, are, are, there's something precious about them right now. Yeah, so, so it changes, but typically I'm a night person. 
Uh, what is your favorite self-care activity? Do you have just one or does it depend on where you're at? Well, my, my favorite self-care activity is what I call prayer walks. And they're usually outside. And it's basically my time to get really physical, mental, emotional, <laughs> social, spiritual, I creative, I get like all the rest in this one activity because it's a time for me to focus my thoughts. It's a time for me to commune with God. It's a time for me to appreciate nature and I'm, and I'm using my body. So that is my favorite self-care activity. And how do you do a prayer walk out of interest? Well, usually what I do, I have some specific areas around my home, around lakes and things at my home where trails that are well-worn, that are easy to do. So I head out on the trail and as I'm walking out there, usually it's not a lot of people. And so I can, I'm actually able to appreciate nature because there's not, you know, people walking around. There's not a lot of noise. I'm hearing birds and I'm seeing, I'm smelling the, the flowers and the greenery. And during that time, I'm allowing kind of that, just being in the moment get to get my thoughts to focus. So I'm not jumping around to the many you know, thoughts that are in my head. And then once my thoughts start to focus, I start really asking God, what should I pray about today? You know, what are something specific? And oftentimes it comes to, if there's one thing that floats to the top of my mind, for example, a recent prayer walk, the thing that floated to the top of my mind was that I was, I was concerned about a friend whose son recently had been diagnosed with cancer. He's a young man and has a lot. He's not my patient, so I can talk about it. <laughs> a young man who has a lot going on and a, a young family. And my heart was hurting for that family. And so although I wasn't thinking about him, when I stopped for a moment, that was weighing on my spirit. And so it was something that I, in the moment I was able to pray about and release so that I'm not carrying around the weight of that sorrow and that trauma of, of hurting for that family because I think sometimes because we don't take moments to just assess what's weighing on me, you know, what is, is, is causing me to feel discomfort that maybe I'm not even giving voice to. So it's your time with God that makes, that makes a lot of sense. What is a book that has been a favorite of yours or one that touched you at an important time in your life? Well, the one that automatically comes to mind right now is one called The Dream Giver by Bruce Wilkerson. And it's a book that that at the time I read, it deeply touched my life. And I actually started rereading it this year. Um, it's an um, allegory where it talks about um, this character, basically, who is given a dream by, basically, it's God, but they call the in the book, it's called The Dream Giver. And, you know, I love, I think I really love that because it, it helped me at the time when I was reading it to envision something bigger than what I was living and to, ex, to, to open myself up to the possibility of that. I'm in a small town. I'm an internal medicine physician. You know, at no point in time in my career when I was doing all of this, did I think to myself, hey, you know, one day TED.com is going to call you up and ask you to do something. Oh, hey, CNN's going to ask you to interview one day. <laughs> oh, hey, you're going to be on Dr. Odds. You know, at no point in my head had I ever even had that thought. My thought was, 
I'm going to work in a small town and I'm going to treat people to the best of my ability as an internal medicine physician. That was my one desire. And so what the Dream Giver book did, it actually helped me get to a place where it's like, is there a bigger dream for my life than the one I'm living? And am I open to stepping into that? What a powerful question. I feel I feel emotional. You're just saying that. I'm like, wow, you know, that is, and look at where you are. Look at look at what just being open to that has guided you towards. Yeah. So this year, this year, because COVID, COVID shut down a lot of people's dreams, unfortunately. And I'm getting emotional just thinking about that because so many people had their dreams felt like they got crushed with 2020. And so this year with my newsletter list, I sent out an invitation and I said, hey, if you're someone who feels like your dream just got squashed, you know, I'd love to read this book with you the beginning of the year and we'll meet and do a Zoom together and we'll talk about it. And let's let's get those dreams awakened again. Very powerful. What does fulfillment mean to you? At this point in my life, because fulfillment meant something different, <laughs> it meant something way different when I was burned out. I'll give a before and after. Before, when I was going through burnout, fulfillment meant having a you know beautiful lifestyle, the house, the car, the husband, the money in the bank, the great kids, you know, all of the things that that I had on my to-do list that I wanted to check off my to-do list and that I said I wanted. And this point in my life, fulfillment means not just having those things, but actually enjoying what I do have. So enjoying my kids, enjoying my husband, enjoying whatever car I'm driving or money we have, or or however that looks, however little or much it is, fulfillment is really the, the tasting of it, not just the production, which is where I got stuck and why I got burned out. I was so busy producing to get those things that I wasn't enjoying any of them. I don't want to live like that anymore. I, I want to live a life where I am consistently consuming the goodness that's being produced. I just feel like we need a mic drop right there. Right. What a beautiful way to summarize it. You were stuck in the producing of it and you were missing the enjoyment of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mind blowing. One final question. How would you describe the soul? I describe the soul. Well, it, de- well, everything depends with me. I'm so analytical. My brain like goes into 15 directions. Question. So <laughs> this is why I loved your book though, because you bring both of these things together and you do it so beautifully. The science is interwoven. The faith is into it's, this is what makes you unique. Well, and I, and I always, you know, I used to say, God, why did you make me like this? I'm so, <laughs> I'm so weird, so weird and complex. But, but yeah, so when I, when I think about the soul, you know, the very first thing I think about are those things that are, that are tangible, our desires, our emotions, our feelings, our wants, you know, our passions and all of those things. And then when I think about the soul, I also think about the spiritual part of us that, that in my faith, we call it the part that remains, you know, the part that when everything else is gone, that remains. And so when I look at the two, you know, for myself, when I say I want to have a life that, that it is well with my soul, that my soul is at rest and in, 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 in a place of peace, what I'm 
what I'm specifically re referring to is my soul is in a place where my wants and my desires align with what God wants and desires on the earth. Ooh. Oh, what a, this has filled up my, my well so, so much. Uh, I only have, I, I lied when I said that was the final question because I always do ask one more just at the end to wrap up the interview, Dr. Mm -hmm. Dalton Smith. But I've so enjoyed this conversation today. And if you could leave our listeners with, with just one thought to carry them forward today, what would it be? I would probably say the, the one thought I would say is identify the type of rest you need. If you're running around and everyone and you're telling everyone, I'm so tired, I'm so tired, answer this question, what kind of tired are you? Because that is really at the core of sacred rest, is at the core of how you restore your life and get back to a place of renewed energy. And that is why, why I came up with restquiz.com so that you can actually take a, a free assessment to determine which of the seven types of rest you're most efficient in so that you're not feeling like, oh my goodness, I have to get all seven of these things. Chances are there's only one or two that you're truly having a deficit in. And if you focus your attention on being really intentional about getting the rest in those areas of your deficit, that's when you'll notice an improvement. That's when you'll start living your best life. I hope that that model can help shift the way you're considering rest. I know for me, this has already been a really useful way for me to consider rest a little bit more deeply, that every type of exhaustion is not the same and that we need to refill our buckets in multiple ways in order to feel truly filled up. Now, the seven types of rest, just as a quick summary, are physical rest, mental, sensory, creative, emotional, social, and spiritual. As I mentioned, if you search seven types of rest, ted.com has them outlined in an article, as well as a link to Dr. Dalton Smith's TED Talk on the topic. You can find her book, Sacred Rest, wherever you get your books from, Dr. Dalton Smith also has the rest quiz, which she mentions in this interview. That's at restquiz.com. Her website's ichoosemybestlife.com or drdaltonsmith.com. Thank you so much for being here. And if you found this information and this podcast refreshing, useful, I don't know, all of those things, fingers crossed, it would mean so much if you could take a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes. Uh, those reviews mean so much and they really, really do help the show be seen by other people. So that's how you can let me know you're there and listening. I appreciate every one of them so much and read them all. They keep me motivated, people. Helps me know you're there and that this podcast is useful to you. Until next time... I hope that 2021 is treating you all kindly so far and we will be back week after next with more thoughts to inspire you and uplift. Until then, beautiful people, keep thriving. <laughs>